Well, good morning again. Uh, it is it is great to be with my family this morning. Um, we uh, we've been working through this series in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming towards the close of it. Um, we are now in chapter seven, the final chapter, and today um, we're gonna we're gonna pick up in verses seven to eleven. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have one, it'll be on the screen here behind me. Um, but why don't we go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll read it and, and chat about it for a bit this morning. Well, Father, we, uh, we are grateful um, to you today for so many things. Um, we want to declare as a people how thankful we are uh, to have new family members, um, to have uh, new people to um, love and cherish. Um, I think about when a child is born and how excited we are over that new life and about being able to enjoy life with that new person. And we have that opportunity with the folks who came today. They are not little infants. They are fully grown, um, but we still have that same joy and excitement uh, about having a new member in the family. And uh, Lord, we, we would just humbly ask today um, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to operate uh, in your life and not in our life, um, by your power and not by our power, that we would have your mind and not our own minds, that we would love with your heart and not our own heart, that, Father, you would be our living hope, Jesus, that, that we wouldn't look to anything else for life but look to you alone. And this morning as we get into your word, I pray that you would help us to remember me first and all of us together, Father, that, that we don't live on bread alone. But we live by your word. It is life to us. I pray that we would, we would treat it as such this morning, that you would open us so that we could, by your Holy Spirit, so we could treat it as such today, that we could grow from it, so that we could be revived by it, so that we could be strengthened by it and ready, Father, to live for you here in this place and in the world throughout this week. So Lord, this time is yours. We are yours. Please bless it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 to 11 today. Um, And and here, Jesus uh, says these words. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So today, I want to look at this text in kind of reverse order. I want to look at verses 9 to 11 first. We're going to start at the end. And then we're going to flip back to the beginning and we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. And then following that, we're going to try to make some application to our lives and talk about these these gifts that that God wants to to give us. So Matthew starts, or doesn't start, he ends this section at at verses 9 to 11 by talking about God as our Father. As our Father. Sometimes I I think I, I treat God more like an unapproachable political figure than I do my Father. I understand not all of us have had the blessing 
of having a loving, gentle, compassionate, patient, kind, fatherly figure in our life. And for those of us who haven't, it's going to take maybe for some of us, maybe not, but maybe for some of us a little more work to kind of wrap our minds around what this concept is, what this looks like, how this feels, how this affects us. The good news is God wants to help us. God wants to provide for us. We're going to have to, if we haven't had that model that Jesus is talking about in verses 9 to 11, we're going to have to learn what one is like, what a good father does and and is. And that's more than we can probably do this morning, but I think this morning is still going to be, be beneficial. But if that's you, kind of a little side note but still on topic, you might need to find a person to learn from. Even if you're older, you know, even if you're, you're more advanced in, in years, as Kevin was mentioning earlier, uh, uh, you, you, might, you might need to find somebody who, who can, in a, world, in a kind of physical way, represent what a good father looks like. If that's you today, I want to encourage you not just to choose someone who knows a lot about the Bible or who is more advanced in years than yourself or who has children themselves. We have to be really discerning in choosing these fatherly figures that are going to help us to understand who God is. The individual you're looking for may be younger, may not have as many scripture verses memorized, may not have kids uh, currently at home or have ever had them. What we need to look for is someone who loves Jesus and seems to love others. Someone who is tender and compassionate, slow to anger. Someone who's not opinionated about worldly things, but spiritually wise. Look for someone who loves children and is gentle. Seek out an individual who, when confronting someone on a difficult issue like sin, does it in a respectful, caring manner that protects the other's dignity and reveals the love of Christ to the person they're confronting. When we have this example, or when we just learn directly from God, we come to understand that a good father desires the best for his children. And he wants to provide good things for his children that will benefit them in such a way that they develop into the people he has in mind for them to be. What he doesn't do is give his children something that will hurt them. He never wants to to see harm or difficulty come to his kids. Sometimes it does come to his kids, but that's never his desire for them. This is Jesus' point in verses 9 to 11. He says, a a, a good father, a, a worldly father, doesn't give a child a stone or a snake when they ask for a necessity, right? Because a stone or a snake is, is going to hurt them. And he doesn't want that. And if that's how an earthly but sinful father acts, how much better, he says, will your perfect heavenly father treat you? Um, I think when we find fathers like this, when our, our heavenly father, when we find somebody who is in love with our heavenly father, or when we find a child that's just in love with their earthly father, we find... There's a reason for that. A father that's good to their children has children that want to be with them. They desire to to have time with them. And they know that they need him. 
They, they actually can't make it through life without him. They understand that he has much to offer them and that he'll enable them to navigate the rivers of life more successfully. So they, they actually desire his, his opinions and, and his advice. They know this and he knows this. One Bible scholar put it this way. He said, there is nothing in this entire sermon that we can achieve rightly or wholly by ourselves. As a matter of fact, there is nothing in the entire Sermon on the Mount that we can achieve rightly or wholly by ourselves. The only way we can live out the Sermon on the Mount is by appropriating the new life of God, which we receive as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and as we learn to ask God for the right inclinations and the power we must have to pursue them. The best life you can live requires the help of your Heavenly Father. We see this in the world. How many, is, how many of us, if we have a healthy father figure, can say, I would have been better off without him? I don't think anybody does that. We all know that our lives are better if we have one. It doesn't mean that you can't have a good life without a healthy father figure. You can. God is like incredibly good at redeeming difficult and like just ter- downright terrible situations. But it, that, it doesn't negate the fact that life can be better if we have a good one. We learn to cope. And God does redeem situations, but good fathers are such a blessing. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. Without a heavenly father, we are lost and struggle through life. How many of us whose lives have been changed by Christ would say, my life would have been better without God? I don't think any of us, I, I, hope, I hope none of us would say that. Hell is not a good option eternally and temporally. Life in Christ here, even in the worst possible situations, is better with him than it would be without him. And it's better in part because our Heavenly Father wants, even desires, and is able to, care for us and provide for us the necessities of life. And that brings us to the first section. We have this Heavenly Father who wants to give us good things, right? He, he desperately desires to, to bless us with, with good things. And, and, and as much as really we ask for. And that brings us to verses 7 and 8, which talk about the asking, right? our responsibility in the process. And in, in verse, verses 7 and 8, let's just reread those. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. So, about a year ago probably, maybe more than that, our children, our two girls, Kate and Maggie, began asking for their own bedrooms. Up until then, they had shared a bedroom, and um, which was okay. It worked fine. It could have worked fine indefinitely. I mean, my mom and her sisters shared a bedroom, and they actually shared a bed. So, like, our girls actually had it better than, than their grandmother did. But it, they just really wanted a bedroom for themselves. Each one have their own. 
And they would just ask and ask and ask and ask. And it was over and over and over again. And at times, if I'm to confess, it got a little bit frustrating. It got a little bit annoying. But for the most part, it didn't. We understood. They really wanted this. And, and the more they asked, the longer it carried out over time, the more we realized they really wanted what they were asking for. Any of you ever have experience with that? Your kids ask for something maybe once or twice, and then they forget about it. And you usually just kind of push them off a little bit because you figure if they really, really want it, they're going to keep bringing it up. They're going to keep bringing it up. And they just kept bringing it up over and over and over again. And, and, and that revealed their hearts, revealed their true desire. And so it became kind of endearing, and it became something that we wanted to, to give them. They, but we just weren't ready to do it. And so we kept saying no and no and no and no. And then one day, Kate came to me with a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, she had sketched out her room, right? She didn't have it yet, but she had sketched out her room, and she had drawn out the placement of where she would put all of her furniture when she finally got her room. She said, Dad, I have it figured out. I'll put my bed here, and I'm going to put my dresser here, and I'm going to put my desk here. She really wanted a desk. I'm going to have a carpet. And she had everything sketched out just as she wanted it. And when that happened, when she gave me that piece of paper, I think it was that, that probably that, one, that day or near, near to it, that I realized I, she, we're going to give her her room. We're going we're gonna to do this for her. Because we came to understand that this wasn't just a fleeting desire. This was something that was really deep. There was commitment to it. She wanted She kept asking over and over and over again. And, and she went to the extent of drawing this diagram now for what, what she had wanted. And so we had kind of decided that, that we were going to, to do this. We, we could say no, no longer. We didn't have the room ready yet, but we knew, we started planning, Dottie and I, for how we were going to provide that for them. Because it wasn't a fleeting thought or a passing infatuation. The idea behind the ask, seek, and knock in chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, is just that. It's that there's a persistence to it. There's like, it's not this fleeting desire or this passing infatuation. It's something that you truly, genuinely want and need. And without it, you're really going to, you're going to struggle, you're, you're going to hurt, you're not going to be all that you could be. And it, it's a little different than getting a room because they didn't need their own room. With the thing that we're asking for, we're going to get this to, to this in a minute, but it's something that, that you need, but the, the desire is the same. The desire is the same. And the other the part about it is that we are to ask, seek, and knock, not just anybody. We're not supposed to go to anybody's door and ask for things. We're not to seek out anybody who could maybe hopefully provide something. And we're not to just ask a stranger on the street for these things, but we are to ask our Father. We are to ask the one who can provide for us the things that we need. That's what Kate did. She came and asked her dad and her mom, uh, but for the purposes of this illustration, her dad. And she, she came and asked. She, if she had asked her friends, right, she'd gone across the street and asked Sachi, uh, or, or she'd gone to school and asked Zainab, like, hey, could you get my room for me? Here's the diagram. This is exactly what I want. It never would have happened. Wrong person to ask. Not equipped 
to offer what she was asking for. But she asked me, the person who was able to fulfill the need. The same is true about prayer. We must ask the right person. We can ask the wrong God for things. Like the literal wrong God. And that will never work. That will never work. But it's not just about asking the wrong God. It's sometimes having a wrong understanding of the right God. Because we have a wrong understanding of the right God, what we ask for isn't granted. God is really patient with us. When we first come to know Jesus, we don't have much of a clue about who he is. And that's okay. It's like a little baby. We don't expect a little baby to know everything, right? They, they need to be nursed. They need to be fed. They, they need to be changed. And, and then they start growing up and they start feeding themselves and they start walking and they start using... Oh man, when they're potty trained, like that's fantastic, right? So they start using the potty themselves and then they, they start to go to school and they start dressing themselves and they start learning on their own and then they start to drive and getting themselves places and they graduate and they start to work and start to provide for themselves. Like there's a progression, right? You start, you grow up. And the same is true in our faith. Like it's okay at the very beginning if we don't know much about God and we're, we're approaching him with all heart and there's no understanding of who he is. Like he... He'll bless that. But the longer we're with Him, we should be growing up in Him. We should be getting to know Him better. And as a result, the requests that we we make are still full of heart, just as much heart as they ever have been. But they should also be full of a a proper, more full of a, a better understanding of who He is. So they're asked in a right way and we're asking for the right things. Some of us, unfortunately, stay babies. And that's not God's desire for us. God never wants us to lose our heart, but He definitely wants us to take on more understanding as we grow and mature. That's one of the reasons I'm glad we have like really qualified teachers in our church who... Um, I was razzing Mickey the, last week. He came up to me and he said, somebody came to me after my class and and said, man, I just am getting so much out of this class. I am learning so much about the Lord. And I said, oh, did you get a new teacher for your class, Mickey? <laughs> but in all seriousness, I am, I am really thankful for Mickey and our other teachers because they are, they are really qualified. They, they love the Lord with all that they are, but they also have a good understanding of who He is and are able to pass that on to us. And we should receive that. We should want to grow in that. So that we can not just be going to the right person, but we can be going to the right person with an underst- a right understanding of, of who he is. And when we get to that point, we come to him persistently. When there's something we really want, we go to him persistently because we, we know him relationally, we love him, and we also know him to be the, one who can o- the only one who can provide. And, 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 and so we go to him with the things we we need, and, and we do it persistently. Sometimes I think some of our prayers are answered, one, because we're not asking for the right things, but sometimes, two, it's because we really don't want them enough. How many of us have, 
said we'll pray for somebody and then forget about praying for that person. Don't, you don't have to put your hand up, but you can't. I mean, you can if you need to confess. But uh, I do it. I do it. How many of us think we really, really need something, and so we pray for it for a day or two, and then it just kind of just kind of goes away, and we don't think about it anymore. And then a month later, we're like, oh, yeah, I really thought I needed that thing. Like, if we really need something, we will be going to him. We should be going to him constantly for it. And if you have a bad, I have a bad memory. I have, like, a really weak memory. I told you about my Post-it notes that are all over my desk at one point, I think. Um, I, I do. I have them all. Sometimes I have them all over the desk, but I put notes in my calendar all the time. I actually have a running prayer list on my phone. So, like, sometimes I'll be meeting with one of you, and you'll tell me a prayer request, and I'll start typing, and you might think, oh, man, he's texting, like, in the middle of me pouring out my heart to him. And that's not the case. It's like, I want to be intentional in praying for you, so I write them down, so that as I go through my list, I can come back to it. And I'm reminded, because it's important to me, but I know that I, my weaknesses, I know that I'm going to forget if I don't get it down. We need to be intentional in going to God time and time again. We, we need to be praying for the lost like that. And when they don't come to know Jesus in the first month of us praying, we need to not stop. We need to keep asking and seeking and knocking for months and years and decades if necessary. Never giving up because we want it so badly. And we know he's the only one who can make it happen. So I wanted to close this morning by just kind of bringing this home a little bit more and just talking a little bit about we talked about who we're praying to, who we're asking, and that's our Father, who is good, who won't give us a, a stone or a snake when we ask for something that we really need. And we're supposed to go to Him persistently. We're supposed to go to Him actively. We're supposed to go to actually who He is. But I also want to address for a minute, what are those things that we need that we're supposed to be praying for? What, are, what is the bread, right? And, and what is the fish in, in this text? What are the good things that we need that we should be asking for? So to answer this question, I think we have to look back at some of the preceding verses and chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's all kind of like ties together. So this isn't isolated by itself. It's tied into all this other stuff that Jesus has been saying. And as if we go back and we look at chapters 5 and 6, in chapter 5, Jesus gave us this teacher teaching on murder and anger. And he said that we're not, not only to keep from murdering people, but we're also not supposed to get angry with people. And then a little later in chapter 5, he talks about adultery and indecent thoughts. And he says not only were you to be like physically faithful to our spouses, we are not even supposed to be like mentally unfaithful to our spouses. And, and, and he goes on, and, and, and he talks about getting even and loving your enemy. And he, he says, not only are, are you not to get like physical retribution for something that happens to you, you, you are to love your enemy, and you are to pray for people who persecute you. And, and then he goes on in chapter 6, and he, and he talks about prayer and giving and fasting. And he talks about how they're not just physically or temporally motivated. Like we aren't supposed to do it so other people see what we do and they praise us for it. But they're supposed to be spiritually or eternally minded things where we're doing it in in secret so that that God sees what we're doing. And and we seek his reward, not not a person's reward. And he goes on and and we talked just a few weeks ago about how he teaches us not to worry, but to live by faith. Worry is a distraction 
from what is truly important, from keeping our eyes fixed on Him. And then we get to these verses in chapter 7 where he says to ask and seek and knock. And when we do, he says nothing good, nothing healthy, nothing necessary will be kept from us. He says in this context, he says all this stuff in in this context of 5 and 6 in the early part of 7. I think too often we read this and treat it as a teaching that's rooted in this world. That if we ask him for houses or relationships or jobs or money or cars or good grades on our, our schoolwork and our tests or our quizzes or, or, or fortune in our retirement, that's what this is about. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're out of work. Some of you have been there, right? We pray that God would give us the job we want that will pay our bills, that will pull us out of debt and make life just less murky. The job that will allow us to take care of ourselves. When all the time, maybe what God wants is for us to pray for faith to trust in Him during this difficult time and not find our own way out. Maybe, maybe He's not so worried about our finances as He is our faith. Have you ever noticed that too often we have faith when we're in crisis but when God delivers us we go back to depending on ourselves the same thing can happen when we neglect maybe to study for a test right some of you are past tests you know others of us are not but we get to class and realize that we're in a kind of critical situation here I've got a test there's no getting out of it and so I just pray Lord please help me to remember or Please tell me things I don't even know, <laughs> right? And because I really want to do, do well, we pray for him to show up pleading with him to meet what we perceive as our need, when in reality the bigger need is that we depend on him and to be more faithful and mindful in our day-to-day living and the responsibilities that he's given us to study and practice ahead of time. Maybe, maybe God isn't so concerned about our life here being okay and comfortable as he is our life here being lived in obedience to him. And maybe because of that, sometimes he's willing to allow life to get pretty rough for us so that like we're, we're compelled to press into him to provide what we need, not to get out of our situation, but to live faithfully in the midst of it. So that if he takes us out of it at some point, we will continue to live faithfully to him, even when we have all the trappings of life again. I think we have to understand Jesus' teaching on prayer about asking and seeking and knocking and, and going to our, our good heavenly father here in Matthew chapter 7 in, con, in its greater context. Jesus never seems to be concerned about our worldly life in the Sermon on the Mount. But he seems to have the utmost concern for our spirits, being in the right place and being in line with him. One scholar has said, such praying 
as in Matthew 7, is not for selfish ends, but always for the glory of God, according to kingdom concerns. So here, the Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love expected of Jesus' followers. And now it assures them such gifts are theirs if sought through prayer. God is not our personal genie. We don't rub him, and then he pops out of this little, I don't even know what you call it, bottle thing, and he grants us our wishes. He takes care of what we want. This is, that is not healthy spirituality. What he is desperate for is us wanting him more than we want what he can provide. He wants us to love him, to desire to become like him, to develop his character and heart. And if that's the case, then going to him for worldly things is just not going to cut it, even in the most desperate of times. Jesus said it best. We mentioned it earlier. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even when we find ourselves in situations that appear to be so desperate that we might not make it, that we might lose our house, our car, our job, our reputation, even our life. Even then, what God wants for us is to desire Him most. That's the story of the Sermon on the Mount. Our lives are not a journey of wealth, accomplishment, and personal accumulation, but it be a journey of obedience expressed in spiritual depth and maturity going beyond the surface and mining the jewels of our faith. This takes a reorientation of life and focus. It won't be easy, and and we can't do it on our own. That's why we need each other. Why we're a family. The world is going to constantly tell us to do things differently, to seek other goals. But everything the world tells us to chase, yearn for, and desire will not last. I have this house. We have, we have this house. Um, and we love it. We love living in Hershey. We really like our house. Like, it's a huge blessing. It's big, like, and it's comfortable, and um, it's, it's just nice. We just really enjoy it. The girls get their own rooms, right? So, but it takes a lot of work to maintain a house, right? Which I absolutely do not enjoy. Um, you got to clean gutters. Like I'm way behind on that. I need to get up there and clean them out. Like we got to like clear branches off of our roof. I have like we have a complete canopy of trees over our property. So in the fall, I am like cleaning up leaves like you would not believe. Like it's crazy. And if I don't, if we get a hole in the roof and I don't fix it, that water is going to leak in. It's going to rot out wood. It's going to create a mold problem. Like if if we don't mow the lawn, it's going to grow up and then weeds are going to kind of overtake our house. Like eventually, if we don't maintain it, like it will deteriorate to the point where the roof will fall in, then the walls will fall in, weeds and vines will grow up over it, and if we let it go long enough, eventually you won't even know that it was ever there. It's going to fade away. It's not going to last forever. All worldly things are just like our house. There's going to come a time where they will no longer be in existence. They will just fade away. They will deteriorate. They will not be here. 
but the spiritual ones, our heart, our character, will not. This will last forever. That's what Jesus is getting at. He wants to provide you with everything you truly need. We may not need a bigger house or a better car, luxury meals, but what we do need, we will have. If you ask Him to help you to overcome your anger and to love your enemy, He will do it. There's no question about that. And it's not like it depends on how good you've been or how bad you've been, how much you've given in the offering plate, how many times you've come on Sunday. Like Those things are going to develop. But if you really want to overcome your anger, if you really want to glorify Him by becoming more holy in that area, He will bless that. If you ask and you seek and you knock and you go to your good Father who wants to give you good things and as much of them as you can possibly take, He will do it. He will do it. And if you're having trouble with your mind kind of straying, like with faithfulness, or like maybe to your spouse or, or, or some, some, in some other way, if you want more holiness in your thought life, if you ask and you seek and you knock from your Heavenly Father, He will bless that. He will bless that. He wants to give you those things because they are good. Good gifts that you need, not just for here but for eternity as well. I, um, we're, we're at our time here. And so I don't know today um, what your need is. Last week we talked about some sin, right? And um, taking some planks out of your eye. And I, um, I know that some of you, uh, I think, have, have been been working on that, have been asking God, repenting of those things, and asking God to, to take them away. And that's awesome and good. There's this thing, I have a, my best friend in South Carolina um, does addiction counseling, right? And what, one thing he always says is it's not enough just to get rid of the addiction. You have, to, you have to take away the unholy thing and fill it with something that is holy and good. Because if you don't, that unholy thing is just going to come back and fill the hole in again. So I'm really excited that we're asking God to take away and to forgive us for these planks that are in our eyes. But maybe that's just not enough for us. Maybe it's not just enough to have the sin taken out. I think we also need to ask our Heavenly Father, who's the only one who can give us these good things that we need, to fill us with the healthy and the holy. I'm not sure... Which one maybe is most critical for you right now? All of us are probably struggling with different things and and needing different things from the Lord in this moment. And that's okay. All of us need a lot of things, right? And you can ask Him for a lot of things, but maybe maybe you need to focus on one right now. I don't know what that is, but the Lord knows and and you probably know. And if you don't know, He wants to help you know. So I I thought I'd invite the worship team back up. We're going to close with one more song. And... Um, during our last last song, I just want to invite you um, to ask the Lord for that thing that that you need. That you need. I um. I uh. Again, I, I I just don't I don't know what it is. 
but I knew the Lord knows. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to be, I'm going to actually go to the back today. I'll come back up to close the service, but I'm going to go to the back during the song. If somebody needs prayer, if you're like, you just don't even know what to pray for or how to pray, that's okay. That's okay. I would love to pray with you, and I'll be back there to pray with you. Um, if you just want to pray by yourself at your seat, that's great. Please do that. If you need to stay seated while we're singing because you just want to pray seated, that's fine. If you want to come to the front and pray up here, that's awesome. Um, but we want to ask that you would just engage the Lord in that way this morning and ask him, not me. Don't ask your neighbor, your friend, your family member who's here today, but ask the Lord. He is the one, the only one, who can give you what you need. And when you ask him, he will give it liberally. So let's do that now. Let's sing. Let's pray. And um, in everything we do, let's bless and seek the Lord. Because he is so, so good. Will you please rise? Let's close with that today.